Are you ready to start living richer? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Live Richer podcast, hosted by Jamie Catmull, a podcast created for people to challenge and manage their ideas of wealth, culture, and money across the world, bringing you the best personal finance advice to make more, save more, and live richer. Now, here's your host, Jamie Catmull. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Live Richer podcast. Today, we have Andy Hill of Marriage, Family, and Money joining us. I'm super excited to talk to him about how to get out of debt and how you too can become a millionaire. He's going to share his best tips and tricks with us today and right out of the gate. Hey, Andy, how are you? I'm great, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So, Andy, I was told that you were in debt, 50K in debt. How did you get out of it? Yes. Yeah. When, when I got married, my wife and I found ourselves in $50,000 of debt. And uh, half of that was really me bringing student loans into the marriage. And the other half was a portion was my, my wife's car loan. So we actually didn't really care much about the debt at the time. We were young. We were in our late 20s. We were spending lots of money. We were having fun. Uh, but it wasn't until we actually learned that we were going to be parents that something sort of clicked in our brain that said, hey, Actually, you know what? If I could do right by my child before she comes into the world, that could be a really cool thing. So for me, as a dad, I don't know what it was, but it became financial. What can I do to financially prepare and make sure that we're set before our little Zoe comes into the world? And so for me, it's like, okay, well, this debt is something that we can tackle together. And so when Nicole and I started to write down the numbers and found out that we were negative $50,000 net worth uh, at the beginning of our marriage. And we had negative, we had $50,000 of debt, but also some uh, negative home equity based on the, uh, the recession we were going through in 2008. That was a, that was a starting point for us. We said, okay, we could do a lot better than this. We're making good money. Let's, let's tackle this. So how much money were you making, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, no problem. When we got married, uh, I automatically got a raise when I got married, which is great. You know, you add a partner and then your your income goes up. So no, we were making about $130,000 combined. I think I was making 60 and she was making around 70. So yeah. So what did you do? You have this debt. You guys are making 130 Hey, together. What was your mortgage? Give me some details. Yeah, like, sure. What were your so- expenses? Yeah, right around that time, we were spending a lot on our mortgage. We were spending on just going out and having a good time. And we weren't really investing too much. We weren't doing too much of that. We did a little bit through our workplace office uh, 401k and programs like that. But really, we were focusing on just paying our bills and living for today. And so when we said, hey, let's let's start to pay attention to this and make some progress, what we did was we made a budget together. We looked at those numbers and said, okay, what can we do to make some financial progress here? Not just a year ago, we were both living on our own individual salaries. What if we just lived on one of them again and cleaned up this debt? as fast as possible. And that's what we did. We ended up just living on Nicole's salary and saving my entire thing, uh, my entire salary, and use that to clean up our debt within about 12 months. 12 months you were able to do that? Yeah, yeah. 12 months, we cleaned up $50,000 of debt. And um, that was it. So you did you like, how much were you spending on food? I mean, did you like go fire style here? Or were you more like, I mean, what Honestly, did you do? The things that we did were just, we were a little bit more intentional. Once we learned that we were having a baby, we said, okay, maybe we don't need to be going out as much as we are. Maybe we don't need to go, maybe we don't need to say yes to everything. You know that time in your late 20s where you're just saying yes to all the weddings, you're saying yes to all the birthday parties, you're saying yes to all those things. 
no be, no uh, uh, get into our lexicon a little bit more than it did uh, previously. We just said, okay, well, we're going to have to say no thanks right now, but afterward, we might be able to do some of those things after we do this fun financial mission we are on. And and some of that, some of those conversations were tough with friends where we said, hey, you know, not today, but maybe later. And they're like, well, why? What are you doing? What, what is this weird debt free thing that you're you're trying to do? That that sounds weird. We, we should be having fun. We're in our late 20s. But yeah, I mean, it was also this. My, my wife was pregnant, so we weren't going out as much. We weren't going out to the bars, drinking concerts, things like that. It became a little easier for us to dial down the entertainment. But on the opposite side of, of just like cutting expenses, really, it was increasing our income. So we looked at different ways to do that. So so we sold things around the house. Uh, I ended up working uh, some extra hours at my job to get some more commissions that were available to me. And so by taking advantage of increasing our income and then decreasing our expenses through entertainment and just paying attention a little bit more where the money goes, we were able to collaborate in about 12 months. So did you invest the money anywhere? Did you use specific accounts? I mean, what... What was the next step? I mean, yeah, were you I mean, investing for, when you were getting out of debt or were you just paying off debt? We weren't we weren't investing that much really. I think I had a few hundred dollars that it was going towards a Roth IRA at the time, but really we were dead focused on paying off that debt and that was our focus for that period of time. So it was just taking that extra money and throwing that cash directly at the student loans and directly at the car loan. The car loan uh, actually, the student loans happened first, and then we hit the car loan. And I remember when we finally hit the the final pay button on my wife's car, we went for a drive that night. It just felt completely different driving around in that car than it was completely paid for instead of making payments for it. So I'm curious, do you now have a car payment? Are you a person that pays with cash or what is your, we what's do your not, deal when it comes to a car? We, yeah, we currently do not have car payments. We have uh, a car that we bought outright in 2013, and we're still driving that one. It's got about 125,000 miles on it. It's an Audi A4, and it's still rocking. And then we just bought a Acura, 2017 Acura MDX uh, last year. Uh, our, our family was growing, and we had two little kids, so we needed a little bit more space as they, as they grew into you know young children. So uh, we've got two paid-for cars at home. That's awesome. So you were an event planner, is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So aren't event planners supposed to be spending money? Or you, I mean, you're spending <laughs> other people's money, but they always make them really lavish. So I'm like, how oh, does the yeah. guy who's the event planner become the guy who's Mr. Kind of Scroogey type? He's like, cutting costs, doesn't have the new cars, not buying anything new. So uh, I mean, you. how does that correlate? Then you become a personal finance expert. Well, I'll be how honest with happen? you. I ended up working in luxury automotive marketing for a really long time. And I got a peek at what rich really looks like. And honestly, that wasn't the kind of rich that I wanted. I wanted the the type of rich that was time freedom, options to choose what I wanted to do with my time. And by paying off our debt and eventually our mortgage, I was able to make a lot more of those choices in my life that allowed me to own my time. I think owning your time is more wealthy and rich than having flashy cars or flashy clothes or anything like that, in my opinion. So you would say it's more important to have time than be working 70 hours a week just so I can have that nice car and that big house. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. So now what are you doing? Are you doing this full time, the podcast with your wife? And yeah. now I know you have a YouTube channel. Absolutely. Yeah. So in early 2020, I decided to make the leap into full-time entrepreneurship after being in corporate event marketing for 15 years. And 
I, re- I really wasn't super passionate about being in corporate event marketing anymore. It, w- it served its purpose for a while, but uh, as you become a father and you've got a couple kids and you want to be around a little bit more, traveling around the the country or, or around the gro- along the globe sometimes uh, didn't seem as as appealing. So I wanted something that uh, allowed me to have more, a little bit more of that time freedom and be a present father. So. I decided to go full into being a full-time podcaster, uh, <laughs> and I, I speak about family wealth building now, and that's what I do. So I get an opportunity to speak and be paid to put a good message out there for people looking to build wealth and happiness with their family. So you do interview a lot of people, and a lot of those people talk about their getting out of debt journey or paying off their mortgages. What are the, maybe, can you give us like two tips that you think are by far the best that you've heard or done that you feel that you could share with us today? Sure, yeah, I would say the first thing is to, if it feel, if it all feels overwhelming, like these big numbers, whatever, it's $50,000 of debt, or at a time we had a $200,000 mortgage, thinking of not having those in your lives anymore and paying those off, that seems like a huge number and a huge milestone. I would say the first thing to do, the first tip would just be to write down your goal and write down your numbers. If you're not aware of how much you have coming in and how much is going out, these goals are going to seem impossible and you're never going to want to do it. They're going to seem so overwhelming. So just taking the first step to write down, what do I want to do? What what cool thing do I want to do or where do I want to go? And then uh, after that, writing down your physical numbers, what's coming in, what's going out and seeing, okay, how much progress can I make over the next month, over the next year, over the next five years to eventually get where I want to go? And that would be my, my main tip, really. I would say writing it down, having it become a little bit more clear. I remember when we were tracking our net worth in the beginning, we, we said, oh, man, we're making $130,000, Jamie. We're doing fantastic. We must be rich. <laughs> and then we then, then I heard this term net worth. And I'm like, well, what does net worth mean? Oh, I guess it, it you know, that's like your wealth, how much you how much you have. Uh, and I said, well, surely ours is going to be huge, right? So we, we went up to this big whiteboard and we wrote it down. And we found out we weren't rich. <laughs> we were negative $50,000, a net worth of negative $50,000. We owed more than we owned. So having that clarity moment where you're like, oh, I might be making a good amount of money, but am I using it to build wealth? And yes, at that time, we wrote it on a big whiteboard. Now we've uh, used personal capital to track our net worth, which is a fantastic automated tool to make that easier. But either way, if you want to write it on a big whiteboard, you want to use an automated tool, just writing your numbers down on a budget or in a net worth chart is a fantastic way to, way to start. So you talk about marriage. So I have to ask you this and you're married. Was there any, do you hear of anyone having fights when it comes to these discussions about getting out of debt? I mean, what is the biggest conflict or obstacle couples face when they're going through this money journey to build wealth, to get out of debt? I mean, the whole thing, are they always on the same page? What are some things you've heard or stories you can share? Yeah, not only have I have I heard about it from the folks that I've interviewed, I've personally dealt with it as well. I think the main issue that I hear from most people is just that I have an idea about what I want to do with my money, and he or she's got a different idea about what they <laughs> want to do with their money. And I think that it's important to maintain some sort of sense of autonomy and independence, even when you are together in a relationship. I think that Losing all of who you are and who you are, who you're passionate about, just because you've become one with another person, doesn't it, it doesn't work out for a lot of folks that I I found at least. I think it's important for you to continue to have personal goals and things that you're excited about, and then also have that for your spouse. Make sure that they are 
pursuing their goals. And then together, you can do your combined goals together. So I think it's important for people not to lose that autonomy once they become married or once they become a couple, because this whole you complete me thing, I, I just think it's, uh, I think it's wrong. I think we need to be strong individual individuals that move forward towards our own personal goals. But yes, together, we can do some great things together. But if we lose that autonomy or lose a sense of who we are, I think that's where people lose themselves. So she doesn't complete you, huh? <laughs> your, your, your co-host, your wife. I don't know if she's going to like to hear that. I think <laughs> Nicole and I have had time. a conversation about that. And she is all about the, I guess, the <laughs> abolishment of this idea of you complete me. Honestly, I think um, I think that we need to have some soul searching on uh, on, on who we are as an individuals, if, if our spouse or our friend or our anything needs to complete us in life. I think that's something that uh, I know I've worked on over the past few years. So mainly what you're saying is you should you both need to have your own financial goals and then come together with your combined goals I when agree. it comes to yep. the money. That's what, that's okay. what I think. Yep. Okay. And then you now you're a millionaire. Now, I know I saw a video that you said being a millionaire kind of wasn't as exciting as you thought it would be because <laughs> a million dollars does not go as far as it used to. And I watched the video on the YouTube and I was like, you know, he's 100% correct. And I was surprised on how many millionaires there are in the country right now and how a million dollars really doesn't even go that far. Yeah. So first of all, how did you do it? Where did you invest that money? in order to become a millionaire. Let's start there. And then what are you doing now to even increase that so when you do retire, you have money? Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah, that, that shocking statistic I, I shared in that video is that there are 22 million millionaires in the United States. That That's a lot of people. So when we hit that net worth figure, I was like, wow, we've reached the milestone. We've reached the mountaintop. And it's like, okay, well, actually, I think we actually need a million dollars invested in order for us to have a safe retirement. When when my parents were growing up, they had the opportunity for pensions. And now my parents are utilizing this pension that my dad worked very hard for with his career. I don't have a pension. When I get there, I'm going to need to create my own pension. And in order for me to have my own pension, I need to be investing early and often. And when we get to our 60s, we're now going to have enough. So what is our net worth made up of? We have uh, a paid off house. that's about a half a million dollars. We've got another half a million to $600,000, $700,000 in retirement investments. So that $600,000, $700,000 is going to help us have that pension by the time we get to our 60s. And that's really as boring as a millionaire we are. We've got a couple paid off cars, we've got a paid off house, and enough for us to retire. Again, no fancy Bentleys, no watches. It's just t-shirts and... <laughs> <laughs> T-shirts and chill over here, really. Honestly, it's and and that's that was part of my realization. It's like, wow, we've reached this milestone. And then when I was growing up, I thought a millionaire was like, you know, ordering butlers around, and you got you got fancy pools. And it's like, no, we've just secured our home as ours. We've got cars that are paid for, and then we've got enough money to build up over time. By the time we reach our sixties, we'll be able to relax and uh, live our current happy lifestyle. That's really all. It is. <laughs> so how much money do you currently invest each month? I mean, what are some tips you would give? Like, how much do you invest each month when it comes to the, your retirement plan or just investing in general? And what type of places are you putting it? I sure. mean, I think that's what everybody wants to know. Absolutely. Especially now we have high inflation. Everything seems scary. Everyone thought it was, who was a millionaire is no longer a millionaire when the stock <laughs> market right. tanked. Or, you know, we have people trying crypto. We have people trying all different things, trying to get, get money. What is it 
can a person do that just wants to be safe? You know, sure, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not out to get the quick buck. I just want <laughs> to maybe get some compound interest on my money. What do you suggest? Yeah, I would say taking advantage uh, advantage of your workplace 401k is a great place to start. If they're giving you free matching money there, that is free money that you can't pass up. So taking advantage of those workplace options. What I did uh, in was about two, eight years ago, I started at a new company and they said, hey, we'll match 15% of whatever you put in here. So I maxed that thing out. I put it at almost $20,000 per year in there in my 401k. They would give me, what was that, like uh, 3000 bucks for free. That's just part of their match. So by taking advantage of that, and by the time I left the company, my account was around $200,000. It's just that continued co- uh, combi- uh, combination of uh, contributions, taking advantage of an employer match, and then doing it in a tax-advantaged way through like a 401k or an IRA or Roth IRA. So all of our accounts that we have invested in have been 401ks, uh, I- Roth IRAs, and then also an HSA, which is a health savings account you can invest through there as well. So by using these tax-advantaged adv- tax accounts and then compounding our uh, contributions each, each month, it has slowly grown and grown and grown over the years, again, to from that negative $50,000 spot we were in about 10 years ago to now over a million dollars 10 years later. So did you, so you did a Roth, you did just do a Roth IRA now. What do you do now? I know you do not, yeah. no longer work. You quit your job. So you I lost did. a huge amount of income. I did. Yeah. So, so at a period of time when Nicole and I were in sort of our peak earning years, we were making around, call it $170,000 per year, $180,000 per year. We were saving about half of that. And a lot of that would go towards either paying off the mortgage or going straight into our investment accounts. And we did that. We probably saved 50% of our money for you know almost 10 years, right? And now as I decided, okay, well, if I'm able to save that amount of money, could I just not save as much money and then do a job that I actually like? And that's what we did. So I, did, I ended up leaving my my corporate career in early 2020, and now we save about 10% of our money. So I feel like if you do the heavy lifting early, it can make a big difference because I know as I plug in these compound interest calculators and I put in the $550,000 or $600,000, wherever it is today, uh, based on our retirement income, seeing where that goes, that's going to turn into about $3 million by the time we're 65. That's plenty for us to live on. So the fact that we did it early and we've got decades of time for it to compound, we're going to be in a really good spot by the time we actually need that money. And that money is set aside for retirement purposes only, really. So what do you live off now? I mean, how much are you living off now? If you you can tell me. Yeah, sure. My salary at this time that I pay myself is around $65,000 per year. Uh, My previous salary when I was working in corporate was about, uh, I think it was 180 or something, 150, depending on where I was. So I've I've slashed my income at about half, but I've maximized my income tenfold. So I'm happier what I'm doing, getting paid less. And I work about 25 hours a week and I'm a present dad. So I'm a happy guy. So what did you cut out? I'm just what, curious. Like, what did I like cut out you, to make it? The amount of money we saving? were saving. Oh, so you just basically yeah. have been living off that sixty-five anyway. Yep. And then we you were, were living just saving on around sixty, seventy thousand dollars per year, and we were saving the rest. And now we just said, "Hey, well, what if we just live on the sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year?" <laughs> you know, I'm I am being an idiot right now. I'm sorry because I just okay. realized he doesn't have a car payment. He doesn't have a house payment. You could do it. Yeah, you I mean, depending it. on where you live in the country, we live in we live in Michigan. If you're in New York City, listen to this and saying live, living on 
dollars $70,000 a year, like that's cute, you know, or, or, or Northern California or anywhere like that. Yeah. In the Midwest here, you can live in a very nice community, a nice home, and you can definitely have a very happy, enjoyable life without a mortgage between sixty dollars and $80,000 a year for sure. So when did your wife quit working? I'm just curious. Did yeah, she- so she did the stay-at-home mom thing for about six years. Um, and then recently she has gone back to school and she's going to be an esthetician. So she's excited about a career change for herself as well. So she did corp- uh, she did um, automotive marketing for a while on and off when we met and then after she was done being a stay-at-home mom. And now she's going to go for a complete career change as well. And I'm so thrilled for her. It's a, it's a really cool adventure. That's really awesome. So when it is, it is Financial Literacy Month, and I was curious, what are some things that you have taught your children or if people come on your show, talk about their kids and how they're teaching them to be good savers and about money in general? Yeah, I would say a lot of the things that we've learned along our way, we're trying to teach our kids too, is that hard work equals reward. So if you are able to do some contribution around the house, you're going to get paid for it. So we, we pay our kids uh, a dollar for every year they've lived. So my, dollar, my, my daughter is 10. She gets uh, $10 a week. My son gets $7 a week. And we split that money up in between most of it for having fun and enjoying life and then a little bit for investing and for saving and for giving. So we want to have each of those digital jars that we use with our with our bank account with Ally be an opportunity for them to learn each time we talk about it. Hey, we got this money. Let's go spend it together on your debit card. Or hey, you've got this a little amount of money that's going to go towards your investment account. Let's see what this will do over the next 50 years, Zoe. Wow, that'll be X, Y number. If these are little learning moments for us, for them, so that they can become great stewards of their own money and help to create their own version of happiness as they grow up. So we, we like to teach a lot of the stuff that we do with them. And obviously, it comes with time. A seven-year-old's not going to really understand compound interest. But over time, as they continue to learn, they'll continue to grasp these topics and uh, be able to own their time, hopefully, in the future as well. So what type of accounts are you using for the kids? Yeah, so for the I'm kids, we've got we just got a, a regular checking account with Ally for the spending. Uh, we work with Vanguard for a UTMA account, which is just like a kids brokerage account. And we're thinking oh that goodness, could yeah. be something along the lines of maybe a home down payment in 20 or 30 years. or And then we also do a 529 account for their college savings. It's all purposeful investment accounts. So 529 for college, UTMA for maybe a, a home down payment. And then actually they both have Roth IRAs as well for their retirement because they work in the business with me. So they have earned income as co-hosts, as um, photography models, and they actually help me to do my TikTok videos that I get paid for as they shoot them. So uh, they're, they're very highly involved in the, the Hill family business. So what is so far, what's like the most or the most popular question that you get asked or do you think people have concern or out of all your videos and even podcasts, what's been the most popular? I'm curious, what are people wanting to learn about the most? I would say the most controversial. Yeah, I've been doing it for about five years. I would say the most controversial thing that people uh, want to ask me about is why would we pay off our mortgage at 3% interest? Like that seems like such a really low interest amount to pay off. And couldn't you make more in the stock market XYZ? And the answer to that is yes, you could make a lot more in the stock market, but we would not be able to have the time freedom that my wife and I have now if we still had our $2,000 per month mortgage. By eliminating that amount from our lives, we can control more of our time. And that's really what we wanted. We both were in careers that we 
we're okay with, but eventually realized, man, we really don't want to do this anymore and we kind of hate it. So with that mindset, paying off your mortgage and having lower expenses to have a good life today made a lot of sense to us. Now, if you like what you do and you love what you do and you see yourself doing it for decades and decades, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend paying off your mortgage either. I mean, it's a low interest loan. You could you could make a lot more in the stock market if your goal is to have a lot more of a bigger pot of money at the end of the rainbow. But I do think we need to be thinking more about what are these cool things that we can do today that can massively improve our lives that we don't have to wait decades for. And I think mortgage freedom is one of those things. I can see that. I can see if you don't have that mortgage payment, you could put that, you could invest that money. You There's lots of things it. you could you do. You could go on more vacations. You could give more. You could change careers. You could go from full-time to part-time if you want to. It's free. Knowing you have a place to live is a huge deal. Also, if you lost your job, you have the security of knowing you have a place to live at that moment in case you did get a pay cut. Absolutely. And you never just, know what's going to happen. I completely agree. I interviewed this woman this past week about her paying off her mortgage and her reasoning was one I had never heard before. She had family members that had experienced homelessness after going into medical debt. And medical debt is a huge, huge uh, reason that people become homeless. It's not drugs or alcohol as so much. It's medical debt. Like we, we are so strapped by this debt that we cannot continue to make our payments. So for her, it was like, I want to pay off this mortgage so I never have to experience that ever in my entire life. So for her, it was insurance. It made her feel good. And yes, there are emotional benefits to making financial decisions. And I will continue to be promoter of that. Well, you've talked to a lot of people. What they do they feel like they have less stress in their lives? I mean, what are some of the things that people say as they pay off their mortgages and they pay off this debt? Yeah, I would say it becomes an emotional weight off of their shoulders. Something that they've been carrying on their shoulders, a burden that's been there for a while is now released. And they have more options. They have those opportunities to dream again. You know, when you were a kid and you dreamed, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I think when we become adults, we stop dreaming. We stop thinking about what can be, what could we do? But then when options open up, you've got more time to think. You've got more money to use for ways that you want to use it. The dreaming comes back. And that's why I love debt freedom. That's why I love mortgage freedom, because it allows us to dream again and do things that we've always wanted to do, but maybe were hidden for a while because we were being adults. We were adulting. We were doing the stuff we were supposed to do. But this allows us to dream again. Because I think you're you're 100% right on that because how many of us stay in jobs we don't like because we have to pay our mortgage. We have that car payment that we have to pay and we don't have the freedom to even take a month off or do anything to figure out to get a new job because you don't even have time to find the new job because you have bills you have to pay. Absolutely. I mean, I know people work three or four jobs just to pay these things off right now. And Absolutely. they don't even spend time with their kids because of it. Yeah, and, and, and the so trickle-down effect of that as well. You know, if, if, if they're not spending time with mom and dad, what does that do over time for that next generation? So I, I, I realize that it's a situation that a lot of people experience, so I'm not, I'm not trashing any parents out there, but I would say if there are steps that you can take to eventually allow yourself to be more free, then we should do that. Yeah, I think I can catch myself doing this at times too, where you're, you think spending all this money on your kid, right, is more important than maybe working less and giving them less physical objects, you know what I mean? It's buying all the presents, doing all these things and just giving them time instead. 
Do you, know. you know what I mean? Like people I do. are like, yeah. oh, that's I want to buy that's him a tough the best new parents. electric car. Or I want to buy my kid this and I want to buy him that. And I want him to do all these things. But you're having to work three jobs to do it. It and probably really isn't want, giving you right? the best. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and when you just brought that in perspective for me for a second there, your kids are probably happier that they had to spend time with their dad than if you were never around and just buying them things. I, I know that the bond that we've had over the past two years has been more than anything we've had in their lives. It's been fantastic. I, I've been able to drop them off at school, pick them up afterward. I'm the soc- assistant soccer coach. I'm the PTO treasurer. It's just stuff that oh I goodness. think that they would like me to be around for and I'm finding them. I'm finding our, our bond grow. And kids grow up fast and the time is very short. They do. They do. I know yeah. that. I can't believe my yeah, daughter's you know, 10 already. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, were they just three yesterday? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Where did that time go? Oh, but I think your journey is amazing and it's really inspiring. And your podcast, I think it does a lot of good too. And it's loves hearing all the different stories from people who have been able to tackle something that so many people deal with on a regular basis. And that's debt paying off your mortgage and then to see you become a millionaire and now teaching people how you can become a millionaire and then even be get more than just a million. You can be a multi-millionaire. As you said, nowadays you want to be a multi-millionaire, not just <laughs> a right. millionaire. Hey, if it can happen, <laughs> that's, that's exactly- great. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, open that Roth IRA. Is that what you would say? If you, I, if, cause you're, say, what if you don't have a 401k, you're sure. self-employed, what would you suggest? I would say find a way to start investing today because the best day to start investing is right now. Don't worry about the ups and downs of the market. The, the people who make the most in investing are the people who invest the time in the market, not trying to time the market. So staying in it over the long haul, your assets will continue to build and you, this net worth number will continue to grow. So yes, if you're able to take advantage of a Roth IRA, traditional IRA, or even just a taxable brokerage account, just start investing and then do it simply. Use index funds as a great way to keep things simple without trying to say, hey, I'm going to try to buy the next hot stock or the next hot crypto or whatever. Just buy all of the stocks with index funds, and that way you are tracking the market. As, and over the time, the, the average of the 100-year history of this market is 10%. Does it do that every year? No. But over the time, over average, it does about 10%. So 10% of your money compounding year over year over year, it just starts to build. There's not a lot of magic to what we've done here. It's just really intentionally setting it there, not touching it, and letting it grow year over year and continuing to contribute to it. So I think, you know, sometimes there's too much jargon or too many ideas about how to get rich. I think the slow and steady, lazy way of becoming a millionaire is a really uh, is a great way for a lot of people to do this. Do you did you use any specific index fund or anything like that? I I don't know the specific ticker symbol, but it's essentially an S&P 500 index fund is the main bulk of what we've done. Um, We do like to do small cap uh, index. We do like to do. A REIT index fund, um, and then we do a little bit of bonds. We're only 40, so we don't have a lot of bonds in our portfolio, uh, but a lot of it's just letting the stock market, the, the overall stock market, do the work. So we do have a little bit of diversification in there, but most of it's just in the overall stock market. So tell me, have you and your wife had any fights or conflict when you guys have been doing this journey? Yeah, absolutely. Once you once you hear these, you know, uh, stats like you're sharing uh, that you've been very kind to me on, it seems like the Instagram story, right? But yes, we've had trouble along the way as well. Not just four or five years ago, Nicole and I ended up going to marriage counseling based on some money fights that we were having personally. I was at the 
I guess, the tip top of my career where I said, I cannot take this anymore. I cannot be here anymore. And then back at home, I was a father to two young kids, four years old, two years old. So I'm working at a job that I hate all day long. And I've got young parenthood duties at home, changing diapers, being busy, going out to the store, doing all you need to do. So I didn't have a lot of time for myself. And I felt like I was sort of trapped in this career. So Nicole and I would have discussions about you know, hey, we need to save more so that I can get myself out of this. And for her, it was like, hey, man, I'm here, stay at home. I'm taking home, taking care of these kids. I need to be able to use some of this money for fun. We can't save all 50% of this all the time. That seems excessive. And her and I just did not have the time that we needed to have constructive conversations. So there was an explosive volcano night. She calls it the volcano argument. And that was a moment where I just sort of walked out of the house and said, I can't take this anymore. I left for, you know, four or five hours and just eventually came back. And her and I both agreed that we needed to see a marriage counselor to talk through this because we did not have the time or the words or the strategies to be able to solve it ourselves. So we ended up seeing a marriage counselor in the beginning. For me, it was one of those things where I said, man, if I'm going to a marriage counselor, I have I have failed. I have failed my marriage. I have done the wrong thing. But my mind quickly changed by the time we got there and we had our first conversation with our marriage counselor. She helped us to speak more intelligently to each other, to communicate more effectively with each other. And that's what we didn't have at that time. It, when I was super busy with my job, when we were both super busy parents, we just did not have the time set aside to effectively communicate. And through that, I think it was about nine months that we ended up spending with Jillian. She's fantastic. And uh, I, I, through that time, we learned to communicate more effectively and our marriage has been so much better for it. So I guess anybody who's out there who's maybe having those marriage fights right now and you're just having that difficulty well, he doesn't understand my point of view or she doesn't get it or she spends too much or whatever. Maybe meet with a professional. Maybe meet with somebody who's the third party that can help you communicate more effectively and and take your marriage to the next place. So I, it helped us a lot. It helped us a lot and I would highly recommend it. So where did you guys come to in the middle? I mean, well, she's wanting to spend for, more, you're wanting to save more. So yes. where did you guys come? I was just wondering where, where the therapist put you guys at. Well, for, for both of us, what happened is we both understood a little bit more of where we were coming from. For her, she grew up in an apartment and her mom worked three jobs and she did not want to have to scrimp her and save her money anymore. Yeah. She had done that as part of her childhood. And so when she had a husband making great money or combined, you know, over time we did, she was like, well, why can't we use this? This is, we finally got some money. We can't use this anymore. I, I want to enjoy my life, Andy. And for me, it was like, well, I've got this job that I hate. And if we can't save a good amount, then I'm always going to be doing it. And it wasn't until we realized that we could probably have both. We could probably do both. And so we ended up, I ended up loosening the purse strings a little bit more <laughs> so that everybody could have fun. But I felt like I was able to do that when I released myself from this job that I really, really didn't like. And now, Nicole and I actually just talked about this the other day, it's kind of flipped. I'm all about spending and enjoying our money because who knows how long we're going to be here and going on more trips and having more fun while she's saying, well, actually, you know what? Hey, slow down a little bit, buddy. Uh, let's make sure that we are you know, fitting this in the budget and making this work. So I think once I realized that I could have a job that makes me happy and that I could still, you know, enjoy my life. Then I sort of realized, okay, I, I, I don't, I don't need to save as much. I don't need to go as bonkers with these goals. And I relaxed a little bit more. So 
I think it's very important for me, at least to have found work that I love because that helps me relax a little bit more and uh, it helps Nicole and I have a better relationship as well. So doing the podcast, was that the therapist's recommendation or was it going on no, I was, during I was, the podcast? I was in the middle of it. I was doing my full-time corporate job and doing my side hustle with the podcast and being a young father. So you can imagine the lack of time that I had for collaboration with my wife and, and talking about important topics. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming here today and sharing all your expertise and a little bit of your life story of how you were able to go on this journey. And I want to tell everyone, if you haven't ever gone to listen to Marriage, Family and Money, you need to go there and listen to it now. He has so many great tips and great stories to share. And he's an awesome guy. So if you haven't, go do that. And then, Andy, I almost forgot. What does live richer mean to you? I totally forgot to ask you that. Oh, I would say, Jamie, thank you very much for having me, by the way. And thank you, everybody, for for listening and, and, um, and, and hearing us out today. I would say live richer to me is owning more of your time and being able to craft how you want your day to look. Love that. Thank you so much. And I wanted to remind everybody to live richer. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Before you go, we'd love for you to subscribe to our show to catch all of our updates. Also, we want to hear from you. What are your burning questions about money and how to live your best life? Reach us at livericherpod at gobankingrates.com. Here's today's Live Richer Finance Tip from Personal Capital. Hi, I'm Paul Deere, Vice President of Advisory Service at Personal Capital. And today we're focused on some key steps on growing your net worth. A good first step to building your net worth is knowing where you stand financially. It's hard to improve what you can't measure. There are some great free tools out there like personal capital that can help you calculate and track your net worth. Secondly, paying down bad debt is an important next step in growing your net worth. Here's the basic principle. If you can't achieve a better investment return than the interest rate of your debt, you should pay it off. Credit cards have interest rates in the 20 to 30% range annually. Good luck finding an investment that will consistently return 20 to 30% a year. A third thing you can do is set up an automatic savings program. Set it, forget it, and don't have that cash burning a hole in your pocket. Fourth, and our last important step to growing your net worth, don't keep too much excess cash on hand. We usually recommend having three to six months worth of expenses in cash as an emergency fund, but holding too much can really compromise your ability to build net worth over time.